Jesus couldn't take it anymore because he realized the real purpose of why we come to the house of God had been lost. The house of God is a place where we encounter God and we meet with Him, and that has to be first and foremost. Jesus practiced weekly worship. He had a passion for the house of God, and He practiced weekly worship. There was two places of worship in the New Testament. First of all, there was the temple in Jerusalem, and secondly, there were synagogues, which is the prototype of our local churches today. They were corporate gathering halls where numbers of people could sit and learn from the Scripture and and interact with God through prayer and through worship. And so in Jesus' day, it would have either been the temple and or a synagogue. The temple was one location in Jerusalem. The synagogues had been built in all the surrounding cities and in other nations where the Jewish people had been dwelt. Had dwelt. Let's look at Luke chapter 4, early in the ministry of Jesus, in verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was his, as, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. <clears throat> he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Thank you very much. <clears throat> And it says that when he went to Nazareth, his hometown, he went into the synagogue because that was his custom. The custom of the synagogue was they worshiped on every Sabbath or seventh day. For us, it would have been Saturday. This was his custom. It was his routine, and it was his pattern. So every Saturday, Jesus could have been found If he was in Jerusalem, he would be at the temple. If he was at one of the other cities in the land, he would have been at a synagogue. And he was stood up to read. There would have been a wooden podium, much like I'm using today except of wood. And he opened the book of Isaiah and began to read from the Scripture. And he read where it spoke of him. And at the conclusion, he said um, that this day the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So the point is, Jesus had a custom. He had a pattern of weekly worship. The apostles continued in this pattern of weekly worship. Jesus practices it as well as the apostles. The principle of weekly worship is very important. When our country was founded, uh, there were strong Christian people with strong Christian principles that shaped this nation. And part of the way the culture was shaped was on the conviction that one day should be set aside to worship. In my lifetime, we've seen that mostly dissolve. I've lived long enough to remember the day when there was a blue law. A blue law meant that only certain vital businesses could be open on Sunday and all others were closed. And it had a way of protecting Sunday so people could go to church be with their families, rest, 
and observe a day that belonged to God. And all of that is founded on the principles of God's Word. In the book of Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. And I want to read some of those to you now. Now remember the Ten Commandments was the foundation of right and wrong, sin and righteousness. It's the foundation of character for our lives today. And some would say, well, that was the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments don't apply to us. Well, let me just say they applied to Jesus and the apostles because we have nine of the Ten Commandments repeated in the New Testament. So the writers of the New Testament, beginning with Jesus, following through the apostles, all referred back to the Ten Commandments and brought them into the New Covenant. So never think that the Ten Commandments don't apply to us. They're the basic rules of life. The one commandment that was not repeated was the commandment about the Sabbath. I want to read it to you. So God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is known above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guideless who makes his name in vain. Then he gives us this commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. It is it, in it you shall do no work, you nor your sons, nor your daughter, nor your male servants, nor your female servants, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that was in them and, the, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so God said from the very beginning, as he was formulating his people, he said, I want you to practice a worship day every week. And this is why. He said, because when God created the heavens and earth, he himself worked six days and rested on the seventh. Everything in the earth was set up on that creative order and pattern. You and I, our body, our spirit, our mind, our emotion is set up on a seven-day cycle. We're not made to run 24-7. We're not made to do the same thing every day of the week. We have to have one day that is set aside. It doesn't mean that we lose our salvation and we're all going to hell and God is going to curse us if we don't. It is a principle, understanding that this is the rhythm of life. This is the rhythm of my body, soul, and spirit. This is the spiritual rhythm of my life. The principle is this, set a day aside of worship. Practice weekly worship every week of your life if you want to be healthy. I think you could also build a very strong biblical case on the fact that you need to have a day when you rest, when you break your routine, when you do something different, and when you're able to recuperate in terms of your physical body. 
So this is the principle of weekly worship, and this is why it's important today. It's important to us because it is the rhythm of life, the rhythm of creation, and when you practice weekly worship and a day of rest and altering your routine, it automatically releases life and energy and health into you. Again, it's not a matter of will you lose your salvation? Is it a damnable sin? Or will there some evil curse come upon you? It's about utilizing the wisdom of eternal God and getting in sync with the way God said for us to live. Now, when you go to the New Testament, there is a bridge between the seventh day, the last day of the week, and Sunday, the first day of the week. It's a bridge. And here's why. When Jesus arose from the grave, he came back to life. He came back to life on the first day, which is Sunday. And it's called the Lord's Day. Not the Sabbath, but the Lord's Day. And so over time, uh, the early church ceased to worship on the Sabbath and moved their worship to the first day of the week, being Sunday. Uh, and as time went on, Christians all over the world for hundreds of years have worshiped on the first day of the week being Sunday, as opposed to the Jewish tradition, which worshiped on Saturday because it was the Sabbath. But the bridge happened between the seventh and the first day because Jesus arose on the first day of the week. And so the, uh, it's called the Lord's Day. You see that in the book of Revelation chapter 1 where John the Apostle said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, meaning Sunday. We also see it in the teachings of, of uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 2. He said, on the first day of the week you shall each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So he was encouraging first day of the week worship. And so oftentimes they would go to the the synagogues, wherever they were teaching in whatever country of the world, they would go to the synagogues on 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 the Saturday, the seventh day, and they would explain the Scripture to the Jewish people that came there in their worship, and then ultimately would have a first day of the week Uh, because the Jews would reject them, and they would end up going to a first day of the week um, worship pattern. And so um, today we're not preaching the Sabbath. There are Seventh-day Adventists, uh, wonderful Christian people in our country that believe we all ought to be worshiping on Saturday, and they practice that fervently, and we we honor them. Uh, It's not a law, it's a principle. And so uh, Sunday is the Lord's Day. Now, as we have become a society that functions 24-7, and uh, we have jobs on Sunday, and uh, we have places to go and things to do, it has just diluted the whole first day tradition and culture of worship. What I believe we need, to, we need to maintain in this modern world is the principle of weekly worship. So that every week you're on a cycle, you're on a routine, and you have a worship time that you do your best to commit to the Lord. Now in the real world, you have jobs, you have to travel, you have shifts that that blank out Sundays, uh, but there are other times during the week. Uh, Just practice the principle that every week I go to the house of God and I worship God. 
And if I can't go to the house of God, I go to a life team. Or I do something else that, that gives me that Sabbath principle in my life. That gives me that day set aside, that time set aside for me to worship God. It's the principle of weekly worship. Now, I believe that you and I should have a passion for the house of God. A passion for the house of God. Um, you know, it, it isn't encouraging as a pastor when I study church attendance in America. and You look at all the graphs that show what's happened over the last 70 years. And uh, all, all the trajectories are down. Because more and more, fewer and fewer people are worshiping on a weekly basis. And whereas people used to worship on a weekly basis, many of them have moved to two or even one time a month. Many of people never go to the house of God more than two or three times a year. We're not questioning their sincerity or their salvation. We're just saying they have eliminated a very vital principle. And if they have a passion for the house of God, a passion to be in the presence of God, somehow you fix your life where you can be there and be a part of worship. I want to show you a couple of things that David said. What a wonderful and powerful message David brought to us about the house of God. David said this in the book of Psalms, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. You know, it's a wonderful thing to wake up on a Sunday morning or at some other time and just say, you know what? I'm ready to go to the house of God. I want to go to church. You know, you, you never want to get to the place where it's hard to put your pants on. It takes forever to get your makeup on and your hair combed because inside you just want to stay in bed. You want to stay at home. You want to just chill out. You know, there, there has to be something going on, and it's so easy to do that. You know, I watch people, uh, their schedule takes them out of the house of God for one week, two weeks, three weeks in a row. And before you know it, it's so easy to get out of the habit of going to church. I mean, just like that. You can wake up and it's been a month or two months before you've even been in a place of worship. It's got to have a passion for the house of God. It has to be a commitment. And it, and it has to be something that you build your life around. You've got to say like David, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, it's funny how so many things kings can happen on the way to church are trying to get on the way to church. One member of the household can't get ready on time, and other members of the household are waiting on them to go, and we're all going to be late because that one member can't get ready. And that can cause a lot of anger and feuding and bad words and all that kind of stuff happens. Instead of having a great pilgrimage to the house of God, it can become a very silent, uncomfortable environment. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of God. And, um, you know, it's wonderful when you can go to the house of God and look forward to it. You can spend that drive time worshiping the Lord and getting ready to be in the presence of God and looking forward to being with the people of God. David also said, I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. I love your sanctuary. There's something wonderful about the sanctuary. The sanctuary is the place where people go to meet God. Certainly not the only place they can meet God. But this is a designated primary place where we come to meet God. And if there's one reason why we have a passion for the house of God, it's because we expect to encounter God. 
Now, I know that not every child of God, not every Christian that goes to church is expecting an encounter with God, but we do. It's one of the distinctives of a Spirit-filled church that we just have this expectation that every time we go to the house of God, we're going to have a close encounter with Him. That somehow He's going to manifest and reveal Himself to us. He's going to show up. It isn't just going to be a social event. It isn't just going to be see how good and friendly and kind and nice we can be to one another and how much fun we can have. But God is going to be there. And you know, when He's there, it doesn't matter if everything else goes just like we'd like for it to go. If God's there, it has this deep, satisfying feeling, this deep sense of, I'm glad I went to the house of God because I encountered God in His sanctuary. David said this, a single day in the courts, in your courts, is better than a thousand anywhere else. He said, just one day in the temple court is better than a thousand anywhere else. He went on a little further to say, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God. Now, I studied gatekeepers and found out that it was a lowly position. It was not a position of great prestige. It was not a position of great authority and responsibility. Important, but not high up on the ladder. Oftentimes, they relegated it to the ladies because they, the men didn't consider it to be a, a place of esteem and prestige. It was just a, a gatekeeper. But David said, even though I'm the king, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God. He was simply saying, whatever the lowest place is, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the courts of God than I would to dwell in the tents of the wealthy. He went on to say, I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. To live the good life. I'd rather be in the house of God. Renee and I have a lovely home, comfortable and nice in every way. I'd rather be in the house of God. You and I live nice lives. We have money and means. We have discretionary spending. We can go places. We can do things. We can enjoy the best of life. We live at a very high level a level of comfort and ease and pleasure that no one's ever lived on this planet before us. But you have to have a passion for the presence of God because the fact is there's always something fun to do, always some place to go. There's always something to keep us busy. But if you have a passion for the presence of God, it'll bring you back to the house of God. And I want to encourage you with this. When I come to church, there are seven passions that I have, seven things I enjoy, seven things I look forward to, seven things that propel me to be in the house of God. First and foremost is God's presence. Now, sometimes God's presence is strong and powerful, moving, shaking, and other times it's more of a gentle breeze. And I love the strong, shaking kind, but I'm telling you, the gentle breeze is wonderful. And I thank God for the presence that I feel in the house. I came to be in the presence of God. And I hope that I can inspire you that when you come into this house, you're saying, you know, I'm going into the sanctuary because I want to experience His presence. And I want to worship Him and I want to be there and I want to come near God. This is the optimum place for getting in the presence of God. Secondly, I love God's Word. 
I realize how much I need the Scripture in my life to give me wisdom and guidance, to know how to conduct life, to know how to achieve in life the things that I value and things that I hope to do. I want to know from God's Word. I hope that I can inspire you to love the Bible, to enjoy hearing it taught, to enjoy studying the Scripture, to, to enjoy the teaching of God's Word. Third reason that I have is I have a real passion for worship. I love the worship segment. Thank God that you and I can come and freely worship the Lord with all of our hearts. It's a time when we interact with God. We come and offer to Him the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto the Lord. You know, it's not just about which song we sing and what style the music is. It's just about connecting with God through praise and worship. And it's a passion And I hope that we can inspire you to be a worshiper, inspire you to love that portion of life. And I want to talk to all the men. Sometimes men are a little more reserved, a little less expressionate uh, in in their way of worship. You know, I just think that a man ought to have an image of a worshiper. David was a warrior. He was a king. He was a man's man, but he was a worshiper. And I think that real manhood incorporates worship. So I want to encourage the men of this house to be expressive in your worship. The fourth reason is when I come to the house of God, I believe He hears me when I pray. I believe that He answers my prayer. This is the optimum place to have your prayers answered. And uh, that's why I come to the house of God because, you know, we have an altar invitation at the end of service and give you an opportunity to come forward because we just know this is the optimum place for God to touch your life and help you in some special way. Never be reluctant to come to the altar and ask for prayer, even if it's over and over again. Keep praying. Keep believing. Sometimes it's a big need. Sometimes it's a small need. Sometimes it's a need for someone else. But that's why we came to the house of God. The psalmist David said, Lord, send help from the sanctuary. Send help. Another reason that we come is because it gives us an opportunity to be used by the Lord in some way. Um, All of us have spiritual gifting. And our great desire is that something we give, something we contribute, something we add might be a blessing to someone's life. Another reason I come to the house of God is just to serve. There's a lot of practical ways that we serve God in this house. It's not super spiritual. It's just practical ways that make this thing work. And it's a joy to be a volunteer in the house of God and to serve Him. There's also the fellowship of God's people. This is the seventh thing, and I'll be finished with this. There's the fellowship of God's people. You can't love God without loving His family. You can't love God without loving the people of God. We're just people, certainly not perfect in any way, but we're God's people and they're precious. The most wonderful thing on this planet is the people of God. And I have a love for all the people of God and I hope that you will too. You know, in the house of God, you build lifetime, lifelong relationships. You build meaning for relationships. You build relationships that put something back that add to you. And uh, I like to think that in my life, I have people behind me that I'm reaching back to to pull along. And I have others ahead of me that I'm reaching out to to help me get to where I want to be. These kind of relationships are so valuable and so important. You know, you can live in a city the size of Houston and still be alone. And your world can just be really, really small. 
When you get involved in the, with the family of God in a local church, suddenly your world opens up. You've got friends. You've got family. You've got people that care, people that are involved in a reason to live. There's no doubt about it. One of the main reasons why you and I are in the house of God is for the fellowship of God's people. Because of all this, I want to encourage you to develop a real passion for the house of God. Remember when you were growing up, mom was always trying to get you to eat something you didn't like? But she just kept on because it was good for you. And then you grow up, and maybe you, somewhere along the way, create a real taste for that you didn't like. And you realize it really is good for you. Um, you know, you have to learn how to create a taste for God. The world's competing for your heart, your time, your attention, your passion. And you have to intentionally focus it on God. There's plenty the world has to offer. There's plenty of fun and entertainment, things to take up your time and your money and to make you happy and, and enjoy your life. You have to strategically say, I'm going to have a passion for the things of God. I'm going to have a passion for God. So passions must be created then they must be maintained because they can die, whether it be a marriage or your career or some sport endeavor or some recreation activity that you in, you're involved in. It can just die away. You used to be passionate about it, but you're not anymore. You have to have a passion, create a passion, maintain a passion, and you have to protect a passion. Sometimes the devil will just sideswipe you with some unique circumstances that breaks your heart a circumstance that, that steals your joy and steals your passion. And, 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 and pretty soon, you don't want to be in God's house. You don't want to do that because you're wounded, you're offended, you're hurt in some way, some situation involved. So, you know, you have to protect your passion because it's so easy to lose a passion. I see people that live passionately for God for a year or two or maybe many. And then over a period of time, the passion just begins to leak out of their life. Before you know it, they're living a life they never planned to live and doing things they never thought they would do. And they've lost the real passion for God and the house of God. And so today I've taken some of your valuable time to talk to you about having a passion for God. I've spent my lifetime studying the Scripture, studying the history of God and His people. And I don't know why God chooses certain people, certain places to pour out His Spirit. Um, it's intriguing to me, that study. But I know that God uses people that are passionate about Him. That when He's looking for someone to bless... Someone to use for His glory. Some place to pour out His Spirit and His blessing. He's looking for people that are passionate. I know that. And I want you and I as a church to be passionate. I talked about the distinctives of a Spirit-filled church. Passion is a distinctive. And, and it, it, it shows up in our worship. We're passionate about it. It shows up in the way we pray. We're passionate about prayer. It shows up in the way we preach. We're passionate about it. And Gil, when people come to the altar, we're passionate about it. I mean, we're laying hands and who knows what we're going to do. I don't want to scare anybody, but we're passionate about it. And uh, it just, it, it, there's a passion here. It's a good thing. It's something wonderful. And I want to encourage passion in each and every one of you. 
concerning the things of God. So in this fall, I've asked God just to turn up the fashion meter for all of us. Just turn up the passion meter for all of us. Turn up the passion meter for all of us. I've found that if I like doing something, the more I do it, the more I want to do it. The more I think about it and plan it and practice it and study it, the more I want to do it. So I invest in that thing and the passion becomes greater. I want to encourage you to invest in your passion for God and let God touch you in a special way. If God's looking for passionate people, I don't want Him to look any further than you and me. Can you say amen? You can close your Bibles now. I want to give an altar invitation. And uh, I'm, uh-oh, I messed it up. Sorry about that. Um, I want to give an altar invitation. And um, I don't know if I've touched your heart today or not. But if I have, and you'd like to say, Father, I want passion for you. Restore the passion maybe that I used to have at some other season of life. Help me, Lord, to create and maintain passion. And if there's anyone here that has been wounded, offended, discouraged, disappointed in any way, and you feel like that event, that circumstance has just drained your passion, and you want to say, God, I want you to heal me and fix this thing because I want to serve you with all of my heart, and I want to be passionate for you. And I don't want to let what other people have said, done, in other situations in my life or even things I may have done. I don't want them to rob me of the passion that I have for you. And if that speaks to you in any way, come forward right now and let's stand in the altar. You don't have to come, but if you want to come, this is how we're going to close our service today. Lord, I want passion. Renew in me the fire, the zeal of the Lord, a passion for the things of God, the house of God, the Word of God, a passion for your presence. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Let's pray in the Holy Spirit for just a few moments here. Worship the Lord in the Spirit. Let the Spirit pray through you as you pray in your heavenly language. Father, we stand before you with hearts open and humble before you. We ask you, Lord, to pour out fresh passion and desire enthusiasm and energy, excitement for the house of God, for your presence and what you're doing in our midst. Let heaven open up over us. Pour out your spirit in a fresh new way. Lord, start a great revival in my heart. Fan the flame of your spirit in my soul. Put your word 
in my being, a word shut up in my bones. Let the word of God be in our heart and upon our lips. We stir up the gifts of the Holy Spirit in this house. May the extraordinary gifts be released in a fresh new way. Let supernatural and extraordinary gifts be released upon the people of God. I pray over these life teams, Lord, that you would show up in every life team. Change hearts and lives. Demonstrate your power. Holy Spirit, manifest and do your work in each and every life team. I pray, God, that even tonight as they begin to meet, that you would set a precedent in that life team. Set a precedent of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for every person that is hurt, confused, discouraged for any reason. Heal them, O God. Return, restore the joy of their salvation, their, your, their passion for you and the things of God.